basketball skills trainer, one of the best around, especially in Indiana. Joey Burden, pleasure to finally have you on the podcast, man. How's it going? I was going really well. I appreciate you having me on today. Man, so how did you get into training? Like I said, I'm, I'm up here in Northwest Indiana. When I played, we necessarily didn't cross paths. I graduated in college of 2012, uh, went to DePaul, JUCO, and then Moorhead State. And I've been seeing your content and building and building. And, and I started this podcast to like, I don't know, three years ago, like 2019 mm -hmm. now. How have you grown since then, like with this whole social media space and being one of the best trainers in Indiana and across the country? Yeah, well, I appreciate the compliment, man. It's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, honored to be able to help players uh, achieve their goals and uh, to be committed to their dreams. I think that's what, uh, you know, separates, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people in this profession is uh, the commitment that you show to the player and who they could become. Um, it doesn't always come easy. Uh, there's ups and downs uh, during that journey, but staying committed to that player and uh, what their ultimate dream is and goal is, has been huge. Uh, as far as uh, just kind of like the social media side, I, I'm not a social media expert. Um, I, uh, one thing I, I value that I've uh, been able to grow uh, my business or my clientele, uh, it's not because of my social media, it's because of the actual players that I work with telling other players about the work that I've done and the impact I've had on their lives. And I don't take that lightly. And so uh, I try and use social media as a way to inspire others. I use social media as a way to coach coaches, to give them insight into the game or, you know, something that I'm studying. Um, I have a client that plays for the 76ers, George Ning, and he, um, uh, played Sunday, uh, national TV game, uh, the Sixers against the Knicks and, uh, James Harden, you know, is now with the Sixers. So, uh, watching that entire game, you know, James Harden just made some, uh, incredible, uh, assists, right. And, and, you know, as trainers, we like to show the new moves and like to try and work on different ways to get to your spots and get your shot off. But uh, James Harden really showed his uh, playmaking ability and his ability to uh, impact the game through passing. And so I just did a quick like 45 second, 45 second edit on the different Solid. types of reads that he made, you know. And so uh, if that you do that yourself. Player, yeah. Yeah. You do that just, yourself. Uh, do myself. Man, I need to add you to. The, yeah. Yeah. I need to add you to the team. We always look for the new film guys to record, man. Not yeah. Well, I. Well, I, I uh, you know, I have a program called Synergy, and so I was able to get every assist that he had in that game, and I just took the ones that really kind of stood out and had, uh, you know, some teaching points to it. And so, uh, you know, if I could help a player that watches that or if I can help a coach or another trainer see some of the details that I see to help players improve in certain areas, uh, I find that valuable. So uh, I'm not really a big social media guy, like I said, to just – posts just to try and get likes up or try and get followers um you know i kind of uh you know think i have maybe like maybe one of the lowest follower uh, uh you know follower numbers or whatever you want to say for a guy that works with nba players um and it's probably because i don't spend enough time trying to just throw out content and maybe i should but uh, right. the impact on the players that i have 
you know, I think is, 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 uh, you know, speaks louder, uh, than, than a social media post. And, uh, when I do, uh, put time into a social media post, it's, it's to impact, it's to influence and it's to inspire. And I try and limit it about being about myself. Spoke of James Harden, a lot of young kids thinks he's a scorer, but how valuable is it to know like, Hey, James Harden does more on the floor than just score with his passing abilities. Cause he facilitates and he makes players around him typically better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, like hearing, you know, stories from my players that play with these superstars. And um, I had one uh, client that played with uh, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. Uh, it was Glenn Robinson when he played with the Warriors. And I was able to kind of get some insight into details uh, about how those guys operated. And uh, now I get to, you know, get insight into how Harden operates. And, uh, you know, you could say what you want to say about, you know, his time in Houston, how he kind of got out of Houston and just now how he got out of Brooklyn. Um, and we're not going to sit here and, you know, uh, you know, discredit the fact that you know, this man has put himself in position to be able to, you know, do certain things and get his way because of the, impact he has on the game uh but uh my client george nang who's uh one of the smartest players i've ever been around uh you know is calls james harden a basketball savant like he is so smart and he sees the game you know one or two plays ahead and you have to stay ready and so um, even in practice when he was coming back from his hamstring injury they were doing like five on oh uh, you know, transition offense, just working on different sets. And James Harden wasn't in. But when the team, uh, you know, would, that was on the court was running down, James Harden was sprinting down with them on the sideline. And the team would come back, he would sprint back. You know, so those are the things that a lot of people don't see that James Harden does. A lot of people don't talk about that. You're not going to hear about that on first take. But right. uh, this is who the guy is uh, when he's locked in. I mean, he has 16 assists on Sunday. And uh, he literally impacted the game with his passing ability. So, yeah, just to, you know, it's, you know hear those stories and, and see those type of things. That's but big trying time. To get, yeah, trying to get the player, uh, you know, and trainers or anybody to kind of get some more insight on how he impacts the game in different ways. Because uh, working with NBA players is top me, man. There's going to be only a certain amount of players that get to have the ball right. in their hand a lot amount of times, 90% of the NBA is role players. And we have players in, in high school and, and, and junior high and college that want to go and play in the NBA. And they think that I have to, you know, be that guy. And I have to have all types of you know skills where I got to be able to get ISO buckets and then be able to go in and, and have all this, you know, finishing package. And not that those things aren't important, but you have to master uh, certain skills. And so anytime I could show a player doing things outside of scoring or getting their buckets is I think uh, impacting others to see the game in a different light. What advice do you tell the guards typically that are in high school, right? And, and they watch their highlights and it's mainly just scoring but you know it's more than just scoring. It, it, it's more than just showing the coach highlights. Like my philosophy for a point guard is that you have to make players better around you mm -hmm. and do your teammates enjoy you playing with them on the same floor. So what, yeah. what's that point guard or combo guard that feels like, man, I, I just got to get buckets this spring for this upcoming AAU season because it's going to be a big spring and summer for a lot of players right now. 
Yeah, I mean, getting buckets is is always something that, you know, players are going to want to do. But obviously, like you said, it's more than just getting buckets. It's also like, how are you getting other players buckets? Is your presence on the floor impacting the game? Uh, is your uh, presence on the floor impacting your team by things that might not show up in a box score? Now, I'll always say this, that uh, if you look at every high impactful guard right now at the highest levels, they all could shoot. And so the ones that might, you know, jump from team to team or, or might not stick in the NBA, they might have the handle. They might have the ability to, you know, make some passes. But if they don't have the ability to shoot, their impact really is limited. So uh, I always tell players, no matter what position you're in, but especially guards, if they go under on ball screens, if they could continue to keep going under on ball screens, it's going to be hard to play at the highest levels. You have to be able to make them pay for going under but now that they're going over and a big has to help off that ball screen now you're playing essentially you know five on four basketball for a split second now you're playing advantageous basketball and now you're able to create opportunities for yourself and others and so I think shooting is still like so critical for those other areas to show up because if they can play off you, if they don't feel like they have to respect your, your jumper, you know, now you're going to have a harder time impacting the game for others around you. So if you want to be a point guard that impacts the game, you definitely have to shoot the ball, but also I think it's about efficiency. You know, you, you have to be able to shoot the ball at a high level, be efficient with the type of buckets that you get so that you're able to share the ball with others and make others better. That was the next question I was going to tell you. My, my style was, I'm going to give you 20 and 15, but it may not be the most efficient way. It's just, you know, on paper, like Marrero, just is a double-double machine. Mm-hmm. How big are you now in the grand scheme of things about analytics? Are you a fan of analytics or you're yeah, no, in I'm, between? I'm a, no, I'm a huge fan of analytics. I have a, a guy that helps me do uh, a lot of my, uh, you know, number stuff. Uh, he gets me uh, analytic data all the time. And so I always view analytics as a means to assist you in your development and to find ways to make you better. Um, I don't look at it as an end all. You know, I don't look at the analytic numbers and say, well, um, you know, you know, this, this, uh, this is it, you know, you know, we can't do anything about it, but I'm, I'm huge uh, on analytics and, and, you know, you know, getting down to those type of details of, Hey, you know what, you're doing really good when you go right. And you're, when you're going right, you're, you know, getting 1.5 points per possession, you know, off of a spot up drive. But if you're only, you know, getting, point eight going left like why is that and then we could look right. into the details of certain areas of their game that analytics is showing that you know th- that's good and what needs to be worked on or hey do we need to eliminate this from your game maybe this is something you shouldn't do let's focus on on this so you know i'm a i'm a huge believer in analytics uh i i think that uh you know too many times it's separate it's like hey you got analytics you know they just want to deal with numbers and then you got coaching or on-floor stuff that they just want to deal with on-floor stuff i think the best are able to blend both of them together and be able to you know impact uh you know impact the player and the team by both of them 
you know, working in unity. Uh, it's, uh, I, I just read a quote maybe a few weeks ago from Billy Donovan, like in the NBA, it's really big on like, hey, threes, threes, threes. And he's saying like, hey, I love threes, but now we're really, you know, making sure we studied the quality of three or we really emphasize quality threes. You know, there was a time there were teams that say, hey, we don't care. We want to get 50 threes up. You know, so you're going right. to take some bad shots. We don't care. We want 53s. Now, I think, you know, and the analytic data was like, hey, more threes, the better. But now I think on the floor, on the coaches are starting to say, well, we still want a lot of threes. We will respect that analytic data. But now let's start looking at the type of three. What type of three do we value? You know, and so uh, I think they both could be blended together. And I've used it and it's helped my uh, clients improve. That's that's big time. I saw you was in a lab. You, you posted a photo of, of uh, Blake Wesley at, yeah. at Notre Dame. He came through the Indy Heat Gym Rats program. I got to see him like during that pandemic year, like COVID year, you know, restrictions were, were still mm-hmm. there. Uh, I wanted to see him in the EYBL circuit. I know he would have thrived, but but for the Blake Wesley fans and, you know, we're from Indiana. Where do you see his projection going in the next couple of years? Do you see him going? in the league or staying possibly to play with backcourt J.J. Starlin, who's a McDonald's All-American? Yeah, I, I don't know, uh, you know, what his mindset is on, you know, when, you know, where when he wants to leave and all. Uh, you know, I, I stay out of that stuff. Uh, it's up to the player and the parents and their their circle of trust. In my opinion's asked, you know, I, I'll give it. But uh, so as far as what he does, uh, I, have, I have no clue and I'm not trying to predict on anything like that. All I know is that right. – I was in the gym with them uh, going uh, in the spring, going into his freshman year and into the summer. Uh, he was locked in. He wanted to improve. He knew he needed to uh, improve his jump shot. And even to this day, he wants to continue to develop it and continue to work on it. And so when you have a player that uh, uh, is that thirsty for improvement, um, is craving the details, um, is willing to you know try and um, – implement things that might be uncomfortable for for him initially uh you know it's huge and it's a huge indicator of them being able to maximize their potential and so i mean i just remember his dad uh you know texting me once he got on campus at notre dame and just say thanks for all the work he did and really focusing on his shooting mechanics because uh coach bray uh first thing he said wow like his fall through is higher and then he's getting more arc on his shot so you know those type of uh, details are important in uh, what he could do, you know, at the next level as far as shooting. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, what I say, am I surprised of the success he's having? You know, yeah, I think he's come on the scene um, this fast, this early. Yeah. But was the talent there? Was the skill set there? Was the mentality improved there? Definitely as well. And, you know, that's the thing I tell players is that, like, listen, you don't know when your opportunity is going to come. But you have to right. prepare and you have to continue to get you know better. He could have maybe said, I know I don't really need to work on my shot that much. You know, I'm probably gonna play a little bit at you know Notre Dame. I, I'll come in and you know, I'll probably play off the bench and you know, I got I got some time. And uh, no, he attacked some of the things that he needed to work on and uh, he prepared, and now this big opportunity comes where they need a guy to impact their 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 team. They needed a Blake Wesley, what he's doing now, they needed that. And he was prepared for it because he was preparing when, when the situation was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to, you know, really come in and be that guy, you know? So he prepared for that and he got the opportunity to be that guy. And, you know, he's thriving. I'm, I'm extremely 
happy for him, proud of him, and I'm excited for his future. Sean Woods used to tell me, as as a player and in, in life and in business, you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's what sure. a lot of players. A lot of players tend to be content. You know, they don't like getting out their comfort zone, and and they feel like, okay, once I get into college, coach just categorized me in this one position, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna be content. Where I, I was very blessed to to play in Puerto Rico, and and I had one of the top guards ever to cross paths in PR, which was Carlos Arroyo. And one mm. of the gems he gave me was like, hey, like, dude, like you're a rookie and obviously they want you to play the stretch four, but I need you to learn the two, three and the four. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the one. How important is it for players to know all positions on the floor if you're expecting to play and you want those minutes? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, positionless basketball is becoming more popular. You know, they, they want players that could, uh, you know, play with the ball in their hands offensively. They want players defensively to be able to switch all screens, you know. So, um, you know, there's still that there's still value in, uh, you know, certain areas of the game. Like if you're a big and you can, you know, roll to the rim or sprint to the rim and catch lobs, you're going to be very valuable because that could collapse defenses to open up threes, right? If you, And then on on defense, block shots. You might not shoot it that well, but if you have those two skills, that's important. But overall, besides that, they want players that could play all positions. And so, you know, you're starting to see it's like Chris Paul goes out and you have like Devin Booker starting, you have Cam Johnson starting, Jay Crowder, uh, Mikel Bridges, and um, DeAndre Ayton. No pure point guard. Right. No pure right. PG, you know, that that's going to just sit there and facilitate. But they got five dudes, you know, that could play basketball. And outside of eight and any of those guys could play in any of the spots on the floor and still be effective. So, you know, I'm, I'm really big on players, you know, just learning overall offensive skills uh, so that they could be able to be effective in whatever role they need to be uh, in order to help the team win. One of the questions that I've always had that I always wanted to ask you was how did you get started in the training business? And and what advice do you give these up and coming trainers that's that's trying to be in the situation that you're in with the players that you have? Yeah, I, I never wanted to be a skills guy. Uh, it wasn't really? uh, in my no, it wasn't in my uh, plan. I, I wanted to be a head coach. Uh, I wanted to get into college basketball coaching and, you know, and eventually like, you know, I think a lot of young coaches become a division one head coach. And so uh, I started coaching in high school is the only availability that I, I knew of. So I started coaching high school in Chicago, uh, coached three years uh, in Chicago. My last year I coached uh, Evan Turner who played at Ohio state. Uh, Deion, <laughs> uh, under, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Demetrius McCammy. Uh, and I was thinking of his brother, but uh, and Illinois, Did, yeah, McKin- Illinois, yeah, yeah, went to Illinois. Nice. Yeah, okay. and so uh, both of those guys played for the Wolves program out of Illinois, and so he was a uh, you know, yeah, yeah, they were both really good players, and then I got in uh, at Mississippi State, and I was uh, on staff uh, with the women's team there, and so uh, I was there for five years, and uh, the coach uh, retired. And so I uh, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. 
Um, I tried to apply for some college jobs, both on the men's and women's side, and, uh, you know, nothing came about of that. So I, I was really questioning at the time. I was like, man, is, am I even going to be able to stay in basketball or am I going to have to go get a, a corporate job or, you know, go get a nine to five? And um, I met a guy named Ed Schilling, who was doing skill development here in Indy. And uh, he coached at Indiana uh, uh, with Archie Miller for a little bit. Uh, he was at uh, UCLA with Steve Alford. Now he's at Grand Canyon uh, with uh, Coach Drew down there. And, and so uh, he, I met him and he, he had a position open uh, in, in the training organization that he was running. And I came up here in Indy uh, from Mississippi in uh, 2012, and uh, I just started helping him. And uh, later that spring of, of 2013, he went to UCLA with Steve Alford, and uh, he said, hey, "You could stay and keep doing what I'm doing, and uh, you know, and, and build build it from there." And I, I didn't have any other options, so I was like, "Yeah, I'll just I'll stay here and start building it." And and what was interesting is I didn't know anything about the training business. I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, you know, what, what, you know, what was like the, the, um, key indicating factors for you to be successful in this business. So, uh, you know, one of them is like, they don't really train at a location or with an organization. It's always, they're training with a person. Right. So it's like, right. I don't go train at this place. I train with this person. And so when he left, um, uh, rightfully so, there's a lot of uh, the clientele dipped and there was a lot of people that stopped going because they were coming for Ed Schilling. They weren't coming for champions Academy, which he was the founder of. And so, uh, it, it was a lot of trying time. I had to, uh, really figure out some things, uh, figure out who I was as a coach, as a skills guy. Um, but I was always passionate about skill development. When I was in high school coaching, I would, uh, get to practices early, tell players, I would stay late, take players home because we were staying uh, after, because I really felt that if I want a player to trust me and I want a player to be able to be challenged and I could demand a lot out of them. They needed to know that not, not, not that I really cared about them. Uh, that was, that was a given. It was that they needed to know that I was invested in making them better and that I can make them better. So when I needed them to run harder, when I needed them to block out a little bit better, when I needed them to, to play, you know, more, more aggressive on defense, I could have asked that and they would respond because they knew that Joey was putting the time in with me to make me better. You know, the old adage of they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care, that's good and all, but players want to get better. And if you're showing them that you're helping them get better, if you're investing into their development and their ultimately their personal goals, they're going to fight harder for you when you ask them to do something that benefits the team. So I was always like doing that, but I didn't know that was skill development at the time. I thought that was just me being a coach that truly was right. passionate about helping my players and serving my players. So uh, when I got, you know, going back to when, you know, I had to kind of figure out who I was as a skill development guy, I just had to really start like from scratch, you know, really evaluate my philosophy. But what helped me the most, I think to, you know, lay the foundation for uh, my success as a skills guy is that I was on coaching staffs. I knew how teams operated. I understood like preparing for opponents. I understood uh, the, what you know rules were uh, about and also it was uh, a great foundation. And then from there, 
was, you know, 2013, you know, 14, there was a, a, you know, social media was starting to become more popular. Instagram started allowing videos. Vine was out, I think. And so from there, you know, I saw these videos of skills guys doing all types of ball handling moves. Nothing wrong with that. But I was like, you know what? Everybody's doing that. What can I do that will make me different? How can I stand out? Nobody knows me in Indiana. I didn't play basketball here. I'm just just some random guy that, you know, came from nowhere. And so I started to, you know, know, implement, you know, shooting in my workouts and started working with players on, you know, their mechanics and and helping them. And, uh, you know, one of my first uh, college clients was uh, Raphael. And uh, we worked on his shooting. He spoke spoke highly of you. He said, because I I tried to get him on a day and he was like, because he was in the car and I was like, man, I I may do this visually. And he goes, Hey man, tell Joy, Joy changed like the way I played when he played yeah. basketball. And he yeah, yeah man. he spoke highly of you. No, that's that's my guy, man. I have a deep respect for him. Um, you know, and I it's kind of a funny story on how, you know, how it all played out. I was starting to work with one of his teammates, uh, and yeah, you know, it was in Indy when we first worked. It was on a Saturday. I worked with him, and uh, uh, his name is Basil Smotherman, and a uh, great dude, you know. And I, you know, well, I was going to work with him again on Sunday. He was like, "Hey, man, I got to get up to Purdue to do some to do some uh, uh, homework for tutoring and all." So I was like, "All right," I was just hungry, right? I didn't really have many clients, and I felt like, "Hey, if I get two college guys, help them get better." It would help just with marketing. It would help, you know, just right. you know, get my brand out there. And so uh, I, I'm on my way up to Purdue, and uh, Basil was like, "Hey, I, I, one of my teammates wants to join in the workout. Is that cool?" I'm like, "Yeah, for sure, that's cool." Like now, now I got two guys that I might be able to help. And so we uh, we worked out that night, and uh, it was Raphael. And uh, at right at the end of the workout, Raphael was like, "Hey, man, let me get your number." You know, I'd be in India a lot because my parents live down in Noblesville. So uh, I right. could be coming down there and, uh, you know, getting work in. So uh, I was like, for sure. And it was just interesting. You know, just this is facts. No shade on Basil. It's like after that night, like I didn't work with Basil for maybe another like year after that. Um, Raphael just started coming and I was driving up to Purdue and or, you know, he was coming to Indy and we just kept working and working. And uh, the thing that he told me, you know, you know, a few sessions in, he was like, man, you're the first player that like, I mean, you're the first trainer that actually like made a correction on my shot that really worked. And so he's like, man, that just stuck out to me. He's like, I've been to all these other trainers and they would just let me go through the workout and keep shooting it the same way. And now you made a correction and it worked. And it was just funny because like those two dudes careers really, like at Purdue, I, I don't know about other areas, but I, those two dudes at Purdue, like the Basil was right there. You know, like I looked at their stats. He only played like a few minutes less than Raphael. And I felt like hey, those two dudes were like, you know, on the same path. And one really chose working and challenging themselves. One didn't. And, uh, you know, uh, you know their, their trajectory went two different ways. And so, um, uh, like I said, no shade on uh, Basil, but like Raphael sure. really locked in. And uh, That's what he said. He, 
you know, he, yeah, he, he improved and he, and he got better. And to a point where I, you know, his later in his junior year, uh, you know, big 10 player of the year. And, uh, you know, his, I think it was senior year. He shot, you know, 40% from three in big 10 play. And uh, he just had, you know, finished with just a, such a, you know, powerful impact on that program. But, uh, you know, Rayfield, I just have the deepest respect and didn't know me from anybody and uh, trusted me, you know, guys like him, uh, uh, Yogi Farrell. You know, uh, there was another one that, you know, didn't. That's where I saw you first. That's where I saw you first. It was Yogi. Yeah. Yogi was my teammate. Yogi was my teammate. We played Randy Heat. It was myself, Devontae Smith Rivera, Kellen Mm. Dunham, Rafael Davis, and AJ Hammond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so I saw Yogi post you vice versa. And then that's when I started following you and and your crap. And I just wanted to give you your flowers. Like, Mm -hmm. You big time, you know what I mean? Like, uh, no, that's, not, that's not that big time, man. Just uh, make an impact, man. That's all I'm trying to do. But yeah, Ray Phil, uh, you know, he always have a place in my heart, man. The dude, uh, not not only for what he did for me and believing in me. I mean, like he really uh, was, uh, uh, you know, a key contributor in turning the culture around at uh, at Purdue and the success awesome. they're having today is directly contributed to what Raphael did as a player and as leader uh, during his time at Purdue. That's awesome. Last question I have for you, Joey, how important is it to, to have the relationship with your players and, and know there's boundaries? Cause there's a lot of skills trainers that's in this business for the wrong reason. As a former player, you can weed those guys out, you know, like, Hey, like you just here to bring a camera guy. We don't even have a relationship. Yeah. How do you go about yeah. that when you deal with new clients? Yeah, I mean, I, I rarely have cameras in my workouts. Uh, if I did, I'd probably be posting a lot more. Uh, usually the cameras that I bring are, you know, or when I bring a camera, I inform the player that what I'm doing, you know, so that they'll they'll be aware of it, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, you know, more, more so, you know, the trust is built where they know that, uh, you know, I'm here to help them. Um, and also, there, like you said, there is boundaries, I thought. I'm staying with one of my clients right now in Philadelphia, George and Ng, and, uh, you know, there's boundaries in our relationship, even though I'm with him at home, there's certain things that, that he knows I'm not gonna, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to do. There's certain things that I'm not trying to be one of, uh, you know, part of his crew. Uh, I'm not trying, not that he has a crew like that. You know, he's very mature, right. but like, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not here for a lifestyle. You know, you could uh, have me stay at your house or you could put me in a, in a Marriott. I'm not trying to stay at the four seasons or, or live this lifestyle. And I think, you know, players uh, respect that, you know, that, that, you know, mindset of, Hey, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to go out to a fancy dinner. I'm not here to go out to a, to a, a fancy club. I'm here to help you. And that's all I care about. And anything else, uh, I'm not trying to, you know, you know, jump on this train and enjoy this lifestyle. Um, because when you get to this level of working with these uh, kind of players, it's very easy to um, to to kind of get lost in a lifestyle, you know. And so in, in, and with younger players, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of, you know, get lost in what could become of them and you you know, being involved in their life, you know? And so that's why I always try and maintain a, a truthful relationship with guys. Like, Hey, this isn't what you're doing, or this is what I see you're doing. That's going to hurt you. Um, and speaking the truth. And usually in my, my, my time of doing this, um, speaking the truth is either going to strengthen the relationship. And if it wasn't going to last speaking, the truth is just going to allow it to dissolve 
earlier than probably needed if you kept on keeping the truth away from that player. So I'm really uh, big on speaking truth to guys and, and, and uh, not, not being demeaning or, or not saying anything that will like totally destroy their confidence, but there, there needs to be truth and boundaries in this relationship uh, between trainer and, and player and coach and player. So um, I, I want them to respect me as a man and as a coach. I don't want them to feel like, oh, he's just one of the guys. Right, right. No, that's honesty is key, especially if you're trying to pursue this game at a high level. That's for the young athletes that's listening. Um, they can't take constructive criticism. And, and yeah. they believe like, well, I, I did this, so how are you going to tell me this? It is like, hey, dude, if when you get to that next level, specifically college, your coach's wins and losses is based off your productivity. Yeah. And he may not play you. He may not give you that why. What's, what's your thoughts well, with that? I th- and I agree. I mean, I don't think players, let's just say like a high school freshman, I don't think they understand several things. The sense of urgency, uh, you know, players that enter high school think, oh, I got four years. Well, really, if you want to talk about it being evaluated, you only got about nine months. All right. So if you're a freshman going in, maybe you have this, you know, talent to play division one, let's just say, or even just a college player. Well, you go your freshman year, you got, you know, April, then you got June now because college coach could be out in June, you got July. All right. So you got three months there. Then you got three months in your sophomore year, three months in your, your junior year. So essentially you have nine months of AAU basketball to uh, improve your, or show yourself. Then how many coaches are coming to your games during the course of your high school uh, career? Not as many because they're in season and recruiting becomes more difficult. So I, I'll say at the most, you probably got maybe 10 to 11 months of, you know, being able to display what you, what you got. That's not a lot. And your sense right. of urgency to improve has to be at a high level. That motor of like, I want to improve has to be going every single day. It has to stay on. There's no time to become complacent. And then as you get to higher levels, these, I think these players don't really understand that it becomes about business. It's about business. No and question. Even in college, it's a business decision. Like I'm not playing you. Maybe, maybe you are good, but I don't know if it's good for my business and my business has to thrive or I'm going to lose my business, me, my job. And so like, I, I talk to these players about the time, like, Hey, think of the, the, the team that you join as a business. And is the coach always going to make the right decision? No, he's not always going to make the right decision. But in their mind, they're going to do what's good for business. And when you can understand that, you know, and even in high school, it's getting like that, you know, uh, you know, varsity coaches are making decisions because there's a lot of pressure on them to win from the community. And so they're making business decisions. And so when players start to understand, like, hey, this isn't about always just, and, and it's important, but hey, we're having fun. Um, you know, we're here to just, you know, you know, enjoy this. We're, we're only teenagers right. once. That's all good and dandy, but man, it's becoming a business. So I, I, I see players don't really get the sense of urgency. And um, I, I always say like, if a player, like I've, I've had this experience with uh, my pre-draft players, mm-hmm. like guys that are in pre-draft, that they might have some NBA workouts coming up. They might even be on you know, the verge of, of getting drafted or at least impressing a team going into, uh, you know, summer league and not everyone, but there's been some that's like, no, if you work this hard and you had this passion from the time that you were a freshman in high school, you'd be secured in, in, in your journey right now for the next step. 
But like these right. guys try and cram four years of work into two months or three months, hoping that's going to change something. And I think that happens in high school. I've seen kids that are juniors that are on the verge of maybe getting D1 or maybe getting a college offer. Now they want to turn it up and get focused. Like, yo, that's too late. You know, and so in having a sense of urgency and then understanding like, hey, it's a business decision. And not only is the team a business, as we get into these NILs and and and, and, and social media, you're a business. So yeah, your business, business might be the best business for you might be to go division two, where you could go get 20 a game, have the ball in your hands. What might not be good business for you is to go D1 and you're not playing you know, yeah. and, or high major, you're not playing, but you could be at a smaller D one and be able to have the ball in your hands. So, you know, I don't think there's enough from us adults really laying out the business side of any sport, basketball, football, you know, laying out the business side, especially once you start to get to college athletics. Now like D three, it becomes a little bit less about business, but division one, is a business now. And if you're not no, entering no your decisions or you're not thinking about in your decisions or you're not, you're not considering in your decisions, business deals, you know, you, know, you might. It's almost the like the YBL. I'm pretty yeah. sure if not, you probably get requests like, hey, hey, Joy, you know, with your contact, can you get me on this EYBL team or Adidas or yeah. Under Armour? Mostly just shoe circuit. Then it's like, dude, like that's a business. Like, Programs are putting their best eight to nine guys on that Nike circuit to keep their yeah. deal. Yeah. And it's a business. It's, it's not like a club sport. It's, it's high level division one talent for the most part. Yeah. You're playing the highest basketball this spring in AAU grassroots where these brands are seeing their potential clients to yeah. for sponsorship. And I continue to reiterate that when it's like, when is EYBL trials? Like, Hey dude, Teams already made. That's they recruit for these shoe circuit teams playing at the yeah. highest level in grassroots. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. And so the the earlier you understand this is, you know, about a business. It's, you know, a lot of times even like that transition from junior high basketball to high school basketball, you know, the junior high team you make it, you know, it's fun, you know, da da da. da. And then you get to high school and it's like, yo, this freshman coach is trying to move up maybe and become a JV coach or uh, or an assistant varsity coach they're going to make a business decision when, you know, it comes right. time to doing that, that varsity coach might want a better job, you know, or that varsity coach wants to stay in the job that he has or she has for, you know, 10 years. So, you know, these young players need to understand, man, that like what you're doing and, and the decisions you make for yourself as a business, but also you got to understand these coaches are making, you know, business decisions for themselves. And if they feel business uh, is booming, because you're a part of it, you're going to get opportunity. If they don't feel like business is booming, because when you're not a part or when you are a part of it, they're going to look to move on, you know? Right on. Joey, where can they reach you at? Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, it's coach Joey Burton. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, it's just Joey Burton. And uh, if you ever have any questions or any way I could help, uh, you just contact me through uh email at coach joey burton at gmail.com joey thanks again brother yeah no my pleasure man many blessings and if uh, i can do this again for you just let me know